I felt this morning when I looked over at my wife and some of our dearest friends are sitting right beside her. What a surprise. You know, one of the things that I've enjoyed as a pastor is the friendships, the relationships that we've made in the churches where we have served. And I must tell you that there is something very special that we Americans, we rather staid and stiff white people can learn from the Brazilian community. <laughs> we learned from all of our friends in the Brazilian community what good food was and how to really have fun. So it's just such a joy to see Eclair and Terry and hi, Celine. I've never met Celine. And Eclair's mother, Eclair. So good to see you again. Well, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a PK, which can be good or bad, right? Some of the most infamous, well, rebels in history have been PKs. I grew up in a home. My father was a, a singing evangelist, had a beautiful lyric baritone voice. My mother was a piano and organ teacher. And we would go pulling a 50-foot-long mobile home from city to city holding tent meetings. Have any of you ever been in a tent meeting? That's where I grew up, sitting on the laps of people from members of local churches, watching my dad preach and sing and play the trombone, and my mom, bless her heart, trying to raise three very active boys in a small 50-foot-long mobile home. Well... We lived in 25 states and 70 cities my first six years of life. So I grew up with no roots, <laughs> um, a bit adaptable to just about any environment that you would throw me in. Well, fortunately, my dad came to his senses and decided to move us all to Monterey Bay Academy when I was in first grade, and that was home until I left for college. And that was a wonderful experience. And I must tell you, the most important thing about that experience is that's where I met my, the girl of my dreams, my dear wife, Jewel. We were 14 years of age when we laid eyes on each other. And I must confess, I fell in love at first sight. <laughs> but she looked over at me, this rowdy preacher's kid with puka shells around his neck and Peter Frampton shirt on, and she said, no, thank you. <laughs> so it took, a, it took a couple of years for her to warm up to me, but I'm so glad that she did. We've been married for whew, 43 years. Isn't that amazing? We, we have three adult children. Uh, Kristen is the oldest. She and her family live in Chico, California. Uh, she works at Enloe Hospital. She's a nurse manager for uh, a group of orthopedic surgeons. Um, my second, Justine, lives just a little bit east of Redlands, she and her family, and she has three children, actually two of which were, were um, dedicated right here in Asher Hills Church. And then my youngest, Garrett, some of you may remember, Garrett was the youth pastor at Loma Linda University Church. That was one of the joys of ministry for me was being able to serve with my son on the same staff. That was pretty cool. Um, 
Garrett and his wife Cambria live just down the road from us in a little place called Pilot Hill. Now we live, Jewel and I live in Cool, California. You ever heard of Cool? We actually live in a, in a community of about 1,700 homes called Auburn Lake Trails. We're just about five miles outside of Auburn in the foothills, um, on the way to beautiful Lake Tahoe. Um, just down the road from us is Coloma. Did any of you remember the name Coloma? People come from all over the world to whitewater raft in Coloma on the American River. So we love it there. It's like camping out every single day. And I just uh, absolutely adore my grandchildren. So much fun to experience it again. Maybe this time a little bit more thoughtfully and a little bit less stressed. <laughs> but my second to youngest, Avalon Brielle, uh, who is Garrett's uh, oldest, uh, celebrated her birthday, her sixth birthday yesterday at Disneyland. Uh, she and her baby sister, Alana Jade. And we're just so thankful to have family. And, um, you know, I'm really grateful to be here. I, I have a passion. I grew up in a home where the truth about being an Adventist, Adventist doctrine was a very big deal because we were always doing these seminars and evangelistic crusades talking about prophecies and understanding biblical truth. And, you know, I've come to the realization after being a pastor that we sometimes... Um, we sometimes short sheet community and the health of community for the sake of truth. I hope I can say this. I hope we're in a safe place to say this. You know the fastest growing group, religious group in America today are the nons, right? The non-religious, those that wouldn't be caught dead, darkening, the, the church like this. And so we as a people, I think we have work to do, and this is a passion of mine, in not only embracing the truth that God has given to us, but also becoming the healthy community that we saw in Acts chapter 2. A community of faith that absolutely win people because of the way we love them. Amen? So I'm going to talk a little bit. Uh, we've been having fun. Last night we talked about what it means to turn your face towards someone, what it means to turn your shining face towards them. We call it attending. Some people call it being fully present in the relationships that you are engaged in. This morning... We had a great conversation about words. Your words, the power of your words to either hurt people or to build them up. And now I'm going to talk about touch. How many times do you hear a, a pastor give a sermon about touch? I'd like for you for just a moment, wasn't that powerful to watch all of the people laying hands on each other and... And, and as your pastor, Gatra, just received and his wife received all that love from this congregation. What a beautiful illustration of the power 
of touch. So I'd like for you to just reach out and maybe grab a hand of the person next to you. Would you do that? Would you just, just as we're started, just to kind of get you warmed up. <laughs> so you're sitting on a crowded plane one morning. You're preparing for takeoff. Um, yawning travelers are all around you. They don't give eye contact. They're keeping to themselves. Their earbuds are firmly tucked in their ears and their neck bellows are securely in position. A toddler is in his seat and he looks cautiously around at his fellow passengers. His eyes, his brows are raised in alarm. He turns to his mother quickly for reassurance. Reaching out his small hand to her, she quickly takes it, squeezes it warmly, and releases it. That child is now able to reset his nervous system, experts tell us. He relaxes his smile now. He is able to turn away and... And then, just a moment later, he's right back to mommy. Once again, she takes his hand, she squeezes it warmly with reassurance and releases it. The feel of your mother's hand, her loving hand in yours, a back rub from your spouse, maybe, a warm hug from a, an old friend, a high five from a pickleball partner. A reassuring touch from a member of your small group. In whatever form it takes, a welcome touch feels good. And it often brings us healing. But the question I have is why? What is it that happens when someone touches you? Well, let's talk for just a moment about the science of touch. From the time we are in the womb through our elderly years, touch plays a central role in our development physically and mentally. New studies on touch continue to show the importance of physical contact in our early development, communication, personal relationships, and lo and behold, fighting disease. Some of you might be remember the studies of Dr. Harry Harlow, foundational research conducted 60 years ago, hard to believe. His monkey experiments are perhaps the most famous example of research pointing to the human need for loving touch. In a series of experiments, Harlow created inanimate surrogate mothers for baby monkeys made out of wire and wool. Each infant became attached to its particular mother, recognizing its unique face and preferring it above the other. Next, Harlow presented the infants with a soft, cuddly, clothed mother as well as a wire mother located in two separate but attached compartments. Only the wire mother, though, held a bottle with food. Harlow found, interestingly enough, that the monkeys spent far more time snuggling against the soft cloth mother than they spent with the wire mother, even though the wire mother was the only one that had food. You see, 
Harlow and his associates came to the conclusion that food may be necessary for survival, but touch is what transforms us. There's consistently a high correlation between anxiety and depression and stress with the deprivation of touch. There's all kinds of research now coming out from our recent pandemic, and it's just staggering in what it tells us. On the flip side, newborns that are given nurturing touch grow faster. They have more improved mental and motor skill development. Children raised with more physical touch tend to be less aggressive and violent. Partners, spouses who cuddle a lot have been shown to have lower stress levels, lower blood pressure, and improved immune function. And elderly people who receive the soothing, affirming experience of touch have been shown to better handle the process of aging and even actively dying with less anxiety and greater dignity. Over and over again, research tells us that meaningful and safe touch, it calms our nervous brains. It slows down our heartbeat. Human touch also lowers blood pressure as well as cortisol, our stress hormone. It triggers and releases oxytocin. I love oxytocin. It's such a wonderful, it's the cuddle hormone. It's known for promoting emotional bonding with the people around us. It also releases other feel-good hormones like dopamine and serotonin. That is just a fraction of the science around the importance of touch to human beings. Now let's move on to faith for a moment. I just want to walk through with you some examples of Jesus and the power of touch. Let's just look at just a couple of episodes of how Jesus used touch so effectively in his ministry. And I want to talk about how you and I can express love through physical touch with the people in our lives just like Jesus did. Over and over when Jesus heals people, he does it through touching them. We're going to look at one instance in the Gospel of Mark that will show the significance of why the Gospels talk to us over and over again about Jesus touching people. One day, a man with leprosy came to Jesus begging him on his knees, if you are willing, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It's a very dramatic moment. Anybody who had leprosy in that world was regarded not just as sick, but they were regarded as defiled, unclean. The law was crystal clear about this. If a person touches uncleanness, that person is defiled. If I'm unclean and you come and touch me, then you are also unclean. It's why the lepers were required to keep their distance of at least six feet away. Imagine that. And if there was a wind during the day, well, they had to stay away even farther. 
They had to tear their clothes. They had to cover their mouths. They had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that no one would touch them, even by accident. They had to tear their clothes. Leprosy was often thought to be kind of this outer manifestation of an inner uncleanness and was often associated with the judgment of God in the Old Testament. Need a story of proof? Look at the story of Miriam sometime. A leper comes to Jesus, the rabbi, the great teacher. Everyone watches what Jesus is going to do. And the Bible says that Jesus is filled with compassion. Listen to the text. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the man was free from leprosy and was cleansed. Imagine it for a moment. A leper comes to Jesus. No one ever touches this guy. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus is filled with compassion. He gets an idea. Oh, he hasn't said a word. But he reaches out and touches the guy. Now, everybody in the crowd, can you imagine? They're just, there's just this audible gasp. See, this is loaded. Jesus has deliberately taken on the man's uncleanness. Jesus, the rabbi, has deliberately broken the law in order to heal, in order to save another human being. Now it's Jesus and the leper who are unclean while everyone else is clean, and the disciples must have looked at each other and thought, what on earth? He's lost his mind. Then Jesus speaks the word. He says, I am willing. Be clean. Now my question to you is why on earth would Jesus touch the man first when the man is unclean? Jesus didn't have to do that. He could have just spoken a word and healed the man. He could have, <laughs> he could have kept the law. I mean, come on. What is Jesus doing? You see, Jesus is clearly communicating that to God, nobody is untouchable anymore. To God, there is not a a human being on the planet from which he must keep his distance. What was the name that was given to Jesus when he came to earth? Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Peter's mother-in-law gets a fever. Jesus touches her. A 12-year-old girl is deathly ill. Jesus touches her. Two blind men in Capernaum. Jesus touches them. There's a deaf mute in Decapolis. No one would go near this man, but Jesus, oh, Jesus touches him. There's a blind man in Bethsaida. Jesus touches him. There's a blind man in Jerusalem. Jesus not only touches him, but he touches his eyes. Jesus showed us what God is really like by whom he would touch. 
Jesus says through his ministry very clearly, I hope you don't miss this message, I'll touch anybody. Physical touch, as we see it in the life of Jesus, quite literally has healing and miraculous power. There was a study recently done at UCLA. People who receive meaningful touch at least 10 times a day live significantly longer than people who do not. So this week, Azure Hills Church family, if you see someone hurting, if you see someone who's sad, if you see someone that just needs encouragement, take a moment. Reach out and touch someone. That's what your hands are for, right? In the Gospel of Matthew, we encounter another event of tremendous drama. We encounter the disciples, and they are completely freaked out. Listen to the text. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and, here it is again, touched them. Get up, he said. Do not be afraid. I love that Matthew includes this tiny little detail before he says anything else. Jesus touches them. They're all on the ground with fear, and Jesus just comes along and touches each and every one. <laughs> it's all right. Don't be afraid. I'm right here. You see, touch has the power to comfort and soothe the people around us, especially when they are in the grip of fear. Instinctively, if someone suffers grief or loss or sorrow, we do what? We, we embrace them. Why? Well, touch sometimes can communicate what words never could. When there is a question that you cannot answer, a problem that you just cannot solve, a touch says, I am right here. I'm present in your life. So if you're a part of this church, I just encourage you to make it a priority. Each and every gathering that you all participate in, make it a gathering that is high touch. <laughs> Shake hands. Put an arm around somebody's shoulder. Give somebody a, a hug, especially somebody that you might sense are a bit fearful, someone who is not sure they should be there, someone who maybe is alone, or someone that you know is going through a season of grief. Finally, last story. There's this, there's this healing story that's recorded in Jesus' life that comes, can you believe it, just hours before his death. Roman soldiers are sent to arrest him, and the apostle Peter decides he's going to defend the master, so he grabs a sword from one of the soldiers. He takes a swipe at one of the arresters. By the way, his name was Malchus. Apparently, Peter is a little bit out of practice with sword play because all he can do is cut off the guy's ear. 
And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, no more of this. And Jesus touched the man's ear and healed him. There's something about this little story that is just moving to me. It's actually recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's just a little sword play. (laughs) And Jesus tells Peter, knock it off already. And then he turns back to the enemy. Can you imagine? This is someone who has come to arrest him and kill him. He reaches out to his face, which was a very intimate gesture to reach out to someone's face. He reaches out to his face. Can you imagine in a place where everyone is feeling hatred and fear? I imagine Jesus apologizing maybe for Peter, Malchus. I'm so sorry about this. You know, I've been working with this guy for three years. My friend Peter, he's a bit of a mess. I can't seem to do anything with him. But here, Malchus, here's your ear back. He sticks his ear back on, and then they proceed to arrest Jesus and take him away. He would die just a few hours later. I wonder if Malchus asked himself, what kind of man would waste his last miracle on one of his killers? Why would he touch me? What was he thinking? I wonder what Malchus said when he went home that evening, maybe to his wife or maybe to his family. I wonder if maybe later in his life when he became an old man and he reached up to scratch an itch on his ear, maybe suddenly in his mind's eye he went back to the time when Jesus touched his hand. Now, I want to just hit the pause button here as we talk about touch. I I think this is important. As a therapist, this is part of my requirements as a therapist. But I want to talk a little bit about the right kind of touch and the wrong kind of touch and how this form of expression of love through touch needs to be done with caution, with care, and with honor. Folks who work in this sphere say every human being has kind of a personal space that should not be violated. How close do you stand in an elevator? How close do you stand in a line at a store? Or how close do you stand to people today talking after church? I suspect since COVID, it's gotten maybe just a little bit wider. In the United States, experts say that 18 inches from the tip of your nose to the next person tends to be what we call our intimate space. And you only allow intimate friends to stand close in that conversation, in that space. And if somebody gets that close but is not an intimate friend, well, you you start to feel a little uncomfortable, right? About four feet is your personal space. Now, this varies from culture to culture. In France, in Puerto Rico, in Brazil, (laughs) 
Much closer, but in United Kingdom and Sweden, it's about half a mile. <laughs> if somebody violates another person's personal space, particularly if it's a man violating the personal space of a woman, well, that's kind of creepy and offensive, and it's a little scary, and we've got to commit ourselves to just staying away from that. Also, there's a really important difference between giving someone a hug and taking a hug from someone. You get my drift? If you're sad and a friend embraces you, they're giving you a hug. If you have a moment of triumph at work, you've just gotten a promotion and a friend, a coworker comes over and embraces you, they're giving you a hug. But then there are those people who seem to have few boundaries in their personal space with the hugs that they generously give out, most often to people in the opposite sex. There is this clingy, needy touch that can, well, can actually drain the life right out of you. I should not try to manipulate another human being to satisfy a need that only God can satisfy. Amen? Also, because our bodies are made by God and are so vitally important, the wrong kind of touch can be incredibly destructive or really hurtful to those that you are closest to who have to stand by and watch it happen. Physical and emotional abuse between spouses or a parent and a child or in any relationship, listen to me now, is wrong. It is a terrible sin. It is not okay. If it is happening to you right now, you need to get safe and you need some professional help. Sexual abuse is wrong and sinful and not okay. Unwanted sexual advances are wrong and sinful and not okay. When I'm dealing with the body of another human being, I am walking on holy ground. Jesus came to this earth to bring us the touch of God. And from the moment we are born to the moment when we fall asleep in Jesus, the healing act of touch is absolutely central to our emotional and mental and spiritual health and well-being. There is no substitute. There is no substitute for safe and loving touch. I'll close with a story. When my kids were little, I often read a book to them about the power of touch between a mother and a child. Maybe it's familiar to you. I'll close with this favorite of mine. A mother held her new baby and very slowly rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she held him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living. 
my baby will be. Some of you know it. Well, that baby grew and he grew and grew and grew. He grew until he was two years old. He ran all around the house. He pulled all the books off the shelf. He pulled all of the food out of the refrigerator. He took his mother's watch and flushed it down the toilet. Sometimes his mother would say, this kid is driving me crazy. But at night, when that two-year-old was quiet, she opened the door to his room. She crawled across the floor. She looked up over the side of his bed. And if he was really asleep, she picked him up and she rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby will be. Well, that little boy grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was nine years old. And he never wanted to come in for dinner. He never wanted to take a bath. And when grandma visited, he always said bad words. Sometimes his mother wanted to sell him to the zoo. But at night, when he was asleep, the mother quietly opened the door to his room crawled across the floor and looked up over the side of his bed. If he was really asleep, she picked up that nine-year-old boy and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. Well, that boy grew. Oh, did he ever grow? He grew and grew and grew. He grew until he was a teenager. He had strange friends and he wore strange clothes and he listened to strange music. Sometimes his mother felt like she was the one in the zoo. But at nighttime, when the teenager was asleep, the mother opened the door to his room crawled across the floor. She looked up over the side of the bed. If he was really asleep, she picked him up. That great big boy, she rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you for always. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. Well, that teenager grew. <laughs> he grew, he grew, he grew, he grew until he was a grown-up man. He left home, got a house across town, sometimes on dark nights. The mother got into her car and she drove across town. If all the lights in her son's house were out, she opened his bedroom window. <laughs> Crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of his bed. <laughs> You're getting a visual, aren't you? <laughs> if that great big man was really asleep, she picked him up oh, and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she, she sang, parents are that way, aren't they? I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby will be. Well, that mother, she got older. She got older and older and older. One day she called up her son and said, you better come see me because I'm so old and so sick. 
So her son came to see her. When he came to the door, she tried to sing that song. She sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. But she couldn't finish because she was too old and too sick. The son went to his mother. He picked her up and rocked her back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And while he did, he sang this song to her. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my mommy will be. When the son came home that night, he stood for a long time at the top of the stairs. And then he went into the room where his very new baby daughter was sleeping. And he picked her up in his arms. And very slowly, he rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While he rocked her, he sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as you're living, my baby will be. So the story goes on and on for our need for touch. Generations come and generations go. People are born and people die. The story goes on and on and on. And I don't know, this story might sound a bit sentimental, and it is, I know. But it says something very important to us about the never-ending, miraculous power of touch in our lives. That need never goes away. We will always have this longing within us for meaningful and healing touch. Brothers and sisters, people of the Azure Hills Fellowship of Faith, that's why we're here. God's church is a place where disappointed, failing, insecure, broken-hearted people, because we all experience this in some way, where we all come to a holy and lovesick God who just every single time, every single time, he just reaches out and warmly embraces us with the miraculous touch. And he says to you and he says to me, each and every time. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my dear child, you will be. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus for the loving touch of the master's hand. All of us, in one way or another, have been impacted by the touch of Jesus. And the incarnation, in its meaning, says to us, just as Jesus took on humanity, we are to take on divinity in the way that we love and care and respond to the people in our lives.
So teach us, Father, what it means to express meaningful, safe, loving, compassionate touch to the people in this community, to the people in every arena of our lives. Thank you for Azure Hills Church. I walk into this place and I just sense, because I'm a kinesthetic, I just sense that this is a loving group of people. Thank you for the wonderful things that you look forward to doing in their lives, in their ministries in this church. And I pray that you would place a blessing on each and every one, that each and every day we may know with calm reassurance that we are loved beyond measure. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.